That's what she said is fueled by Gatorade, Gatorade's proven formula. Whatever path you take, greatness starts with G. Check out our newest podcast, Swagoo and Perk, led by its namesake hosts, former NFL veteran and analyst Marcus Spears, he's Swagoo, and NBA champion and analyst Kendrick Perkins. With new episodes every Tuesday morning, Swagoo and Perk will bring listeners the latest NBA and NFL news, as well as a look inside their lives with can't-miss conversations. That's Swagoo and Perk. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, a podcast about, well, whatever the hell I want. Actors and musicians, athletes, comedians, neuroscientists, wine experts. If I find somebody interesting, I'm bringing them to you. We'll talk about how they became who they are, how they found success, battled failures, and how they ended up here talking to me. Hi, my name is Ari Chambers, and I have this big dilemma with my knees. They just, when I hit 30, they were like, nope, not anymore. So we're working through that, Sarah. (laughs) Uh, The old 30-year-old complaining about their knees. Just you wait, (laughs) little one. 30 years old with bad knees already. Okay, got to be all those cheer competitions, I guess. And I wish I could tell you it gets better, but it actually gets worse. (laughs) Soon enough, you'll find yourself suffering a hamstring injury, leaning down to pet a dog or tearing a bicep, picking up a small child. You'll have to start wearing inserts in your shoes for your growing bunions. You'll sit on the bed after a long day and you will say aloud to an absolutely empty room, ah, that's the ticket. I promise you don't think it will happen to you, but it happens to all of us. So just enjoy whatever's left of your knees right now because pretty soon it's just Advil and a lifetime of low impact workouts on an elliptical. That's what she said. This week's guest is Ari Chambers, a.k.a. Ari Ivory, on Twitter. She's the creator of Highlight Her, which is Bleacher Report's multi-channel portfolio brand focused on female athletes and teams. In fact, the first Highlight Her merch just dropped right around the WNBA finals. She also does the Don't Sleep segment on NBA TV's first WNBA show, WNBA Weekly. She's a model. She created the widespread, simple but effective catchphrase, the WNBA is so important. And she was recently named to the Forbes Sports 30 Under 30. She's a testament to hard work, passion, conviction, determination, and being the thing you want to see in the industry and the world. And we talk about that. We talk about modeling, cheer squad, studying at Oxford, how to respond to getting no's, and how to maximize your brand on social. So much more. So enjoy the convo. That's what she said. Ari! You are one of those people that I love to have on the pod because I follow you on social everywhere. I love your work. I love Highlighter, but I I don't think I know much about who you were before you became the unofficial queen of WNBA Twitter and started popping up in TV ads and basically dominating the women's sports scene on social. So uh, first of all, can we explain the Ari Ivory versus Ari Chambers thing? And am I the only person who thought that was your name? Yeah, people actually call me Avery. It's like, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> like I'm not going to name her explicitly, but one WNBA legend who I've literally known since I was 18 years old has been calling me Avery, but I never had the, like, the heart to correct her. And I'm typically the type to to be like, no, that's not my name. Like I, your name's your identity, but like poor thing has been calling me Avery for 12 <laughs> years now. So I don't even know how to even begin to be like, hey girl, not my name. <laughs> um, but Ivory is actually my middle name. So I'm Ariel Ivory Chambers. I've just gone by Ari Ivory. It's just you know, when they tell you when social media first started, they were like, keep it consistent. And so that domain has always been consistent. Right. But I want to stop you because like we knew each other in real life years ago. This time I know that I glued up, glued, glued up. I glowed up because we yeah. definitely had some wine together. Before. That was a glow up and a blow up at the same time. Blow and you, blow. You, you glued up. Um, well, we definitely for sure met at the CAA party at the NBA All-Star Weekend, but I didn't know it was you. And so you introduced yourself and I was like, oh, yeah, nice to meet you. Okay, yeah. And then later I was like, oh, that was that girl from Twitter. I'm such an ass. I didn't act like I like knew who she was. And then when did we have wine together? ESPNW. <gasps> That's right. That was even before the CAA. That was even so, before. I'm glad in our third encounter. I know. What a mess I am. Um, you know, what's interesting though, is I feel like when you meet people in person and you don't know, that's the same person online, you are one of those people that I just created two separate tracks for that were not ivory. One was the person I met at the SVW summit, wholly different from, from this one. Well, well now that we're putting it all together and I, I sound, you know, like real big time that I'm like, I'm so sorry. It takes me multiple times of meeting you (laughs) to, to register. Um, let's go way back to young 
Ariel, Ariel, Ariel. Always Ariel. So that's that's going to be a problem too for people. Ari's definitely get some Ariel, the Little Mermaid. Uh, young Ariel Ivory Chambers. Uh, tell me about you as a kid uh, and what you wanted to do and and what you thought you were going to be when you grew up. I thought that I five-year-old Ari wanted to be a singer, and then when five-year-old Ari turned into 10-year-old Ari and the Spice Girls came around, I just knew I was baby Spice, which is like kind of like internally conflicting because like, why not scare? Anyways, yeah, but right. I wanted to be a singer and then I transitioned to wanting to be a defense attorney. And it's funny because my dad is a mass comm professor and he was in, he was in production and things like he worked at our TV station in North Carolina. And I wanted to do everything that he didn't do. Like I wanted to be completely different, but my mom's an English major too. So it was always in my blood. Um, but I was into everything. I was a cheerleader. I did Taekwondo, volleyball, swimming. Um, I was very average at basketball. I didn't try that much with basketball <laughs> because, you know, volleyball came naturally. Cheerleading I had been doing since I was four. So I stuck with cheerleading and volleyball my whole life. But that's that's basically what young Ari was. But young Ari also lived in Raleigh where she got to see Coach K. Yao dominate the scene with NC State women's basketball. And my house was only 10 minutes away from NC State, so I would frequent the women's basketball games. And that's where my love for basketball started. Was that something that one of your parents, family members, friends, how did you decide to get into that? Well, I'm an ACC baby. My dad went to Duke. My mom got her master's at NC State. So it was just very much in my blood to be in the ACC. And then my elementary school, Effie Green, you elementary school, we used to take field trips there. And so really? NC State was always, yeah, where I wanted to be. And I remember growing up in my all-star cheer gym. A lot of people don't know about all-star cheerleading, which is competitive cheerleading. So my whole life, pretty much, I didn't cheer for anybody until like my later years. I just competed. And so my that's like the stuff that's on TV. Sometimes you watch yes. where they're throwing people and yes. crazy wild All we did was throw, tumble, stunt, jump, and and perform. And it was it was you can quantify it. There were points involved. Yeah. Um, Kathy Bucky owned my cheer gym, and Kathy Bucky was also the head cheerleading coach at North Carolina State, and she was a national champion cheerleading coach. Just think of like Pat Summit of cheerleading kind of thing. Right. And so I, I saw the NC State cheerleaders coming in and out of the gym, and that's where I like set my goal. <laughs> You're very tall though for that, right? I am six feet tall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's very tall. Because I remember I did gymnastics growing up, and I was very good. I was really good at tumbling, all the different elements. I was super flexible. And then at a certain age, they kept moving the uneven bars further and further away, and they were like, "This might not be for you." This <laughs> like, might not. Did you get kicked out too? That's Essentially, why I, yes, I yes. They were like, maybe you should focus on something else. My parents were like, that's fine. This is very expensive. <laughs> they told me that too. North Raleigh Gymnastics, y'all told me that. Y'all told me yeah. that I was a little tall and I knew it. I was five feet in the third grade. It was over. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, but for cheerleading, were you like a base? Were you throwing people? I was a backspot and a flyer. So okay. I would hold- a Flyer for that your height, that's wild. I was really flexible. Yeah. Was. Because now I can't even straight these hamstrings are like, no. <laughs> okay, so you're really into your cheer stuff, but you get into women's basketball, which like even being nearby, I mean, my parents just weren't really into sports. So it wouldn't have even been something that registered with me to to get really interested in a big name coach at a nearby school or something. So, But you've got that influence. Um, mm -hmm. And is there a through line from that to what you're doing now or in the meantime of high school and college and other interests, did it drop off and then you found it back again? It's funny because Jerry, one of the girls I actually used to manage in high school, tweeted out, I remember when Ari quit high school cheerleading to become our girls basketball manager. And it was mainly because my best friend, Lakivia Boykin, played basketball. And I just wanted to be, I was like obsessed with Kiwi all the time. And so like, it wasn't enough that we had all of our classes together. I had right. to be our manager too. And so I became the girls basketball manager. And from that really learned the ins and outs of basketball. Um, and I still, I still did competitive cheer. I still played volleyball, but like, cause in high school, our volleyball coach was our girls basketball coach anyway. Um, so I, I was with coach Sampson year round and I come from a high school that's like, like fortunate enough to be nationally ranked. And so we would travel, we were good enough for me to like meet other elite players. And then in the summertime would travel with Lakivia, Kiwi Boykin, she ended up playing at wake and, um, just traveling and meeting people and knowing that they have stories to tell. And remembering that, that there were barely any media members there. This is like 2009. We're in college and, and, and I don't see any media present. And then going to my professional career with cheerleading, 
in at Madison Square Garden, we did the, the Liberty Torch Patrol and me seeing maybe three or four. And this is the world's most famous arena with the top 144 mm-hmm. players going in and out of it. And so I'm like, why can I count on one hand how many people are covering this? And so I, I, I took it upon myself. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Let's go back a little bit. So um, you studied at NC State, so you yeah. fulfilled the prophecy uh, of your youth, but also um, you studied a bit in, at Oxford, right? Yes, I did. And so was that was, a semester abroad or how did that work? Yeah, it was an abroad situation, joint degree situation, and was able to study English with a concentration in Shakespearean literature, which was awesome. really cool. The way that they apply learning to real life there. Like we would read Titus Andronicus, and then we would go to the Shakespearean theater and, and watch it and so cool. be disgusted by it, but mm-hmm. it's there. And then I had a history professor who was strangely obsessed with Margaret Thatcher, which I mean, like we need to like de-layer that, but, uh, <laughs> but the way that they teach and they learn over there is so different and it opened my eyes up to the value of education and the fact that like you can be passionate and relay that without beating it into you. And so I had a great time at Oxford. Sports are very different over there. It's not as, you know, intense with sports. Just the, just the football. Just, (laughs) (laughs) and then I, I, I did, I, I would heavily suggest anybody studying abroad or doing a joint degree program with a international program because it's so, what you gain from it is just so special. Yeah. My mom actually did a study abroad at Oxford as well. She has really fun stories of it being, you know, decades ago and she's riding her bike solo, you know, across multiple countries. And I'm like, man, that's different times. Different right. Times. But shout out to her. If, if, shout out to Somerville College and Hussein's food truck because y'all held me down. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll have to go I'll have to go check that out. Okay. So what was your major at the time? What did you think the that you were going to pursue right after college? So I, I originally wanted to be a psych major, but fun fact, uh, not many people know this. My first year and a half, I went to UNC Charlotte and oh, okay. I was on a teaching fellow scholarship um, to teach English with a concentration in uh, secondary education. So I was going to teach high school English. Got but the way teaching fellows is you have to stay in the state for the next four years after you graduate. And it, that quickly didn't work with my modeling. And so went to NC State did what was in my blood, new communication media. And that was back Facebook and Twitter. This was before Instagram even existed. So just knowing how to maintain your brand online, that was something that really, really um, stuck with me in my college years and just knowing the importance of it. So I've had a Twitter since 2009. I've had a Facebook since 2005. So knowing how to manage that and, and being online and being present, I found special. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Let's backtrack to the modeling because it's such a funny job. It's kind of like, I don't know, there's certain jobs where someone says what they do and everyone's like, oh, okay, like I'm a mathematician or I'm a whatever. But when you, whenever the, the two that I always think about is, is comedy, oh, so you're funny. And it's like almost like prove it or like, oh, you're a model, right? There's like such an attitude about it. So how did you get started or I guess discovered um, and what are some of the, the highlights of that? Yeah, my story is not that great. I put on my Facebook status actually when I was 18 and said I wanted a photographer for Christmas because I wanted to give my mom a Christmas card. And then my friend was like, talk to my boyfriend, Kevin, he's a booker. And I was Mm -hmm. like, okay. And so I got my mother agency. A lot of people don't realize that before you get to these bigger markets, it's really smart to get a smaller agency that can develop you and make sure you can move properly in front of the camera. Make sure that you are the right. Um, back then, it was really strict with sizes. So I had to get myself in shape for fashion modeling because I was a fashion model and make sure your your walk is correct before they placed you in these bigger markets like New York, um, Chicago, even London, Milan, all those other markets. So um, I had my first mother agency and then they sent me to New York and got signed in New York. And I actually did many fashion seasons, but wasn't necessarily great at fashion modeling. I never was naturally that thin. I I mean, I'm thin for like regular life, but I was never fashion girl skinny. Right. So 
once it's it's interesting to me because Carly Kloss came in and made athletic modeling cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so once the athleticism was embraced within the industry, that's when my career really took off with commercial side of things. I, I got back to a healthy, normal weight and I was able to book clients like, you know, Nike, like Foot Locker, um, like the ones I still have relationships with today and I'm blessed enough to be direct booked. But, um, with fashion, Ari was six feet tall, 115 pounds. It was ridiculous. Oh. Oh. And, um, she doesn't want to go back there. Yeah, that doesn't sound very fun. Um, So you're sort of modeling throughout as you're getting your education. And you also mentioned you kind of noticed the discrepancy in coverage, both when when traveling with your best friend, but also when you were with the New York Liberty Spirit Squad. So I need to hear about that. How did you get involved in that? And how long after after college was that gig? I'm sure that nobody really knows this. I actually went to watch Alyssa Thomas play in Mm -hmm. MSG 2014, her rookie season. And I didn't realize the WNBA had cheerleaders. And this was the Torch Patrol. They had cute seafoam dresses. They were running around with their east arms. And this is back when Torch Patrol used to stunt and tumble. So I was like, this is exactly what I want to do. And um, me being a researcher, researched the director of entertainment at MSG and found out. And they were like, I think you need to do a season of Knicks. So I did a season of Knicks before I was able to be on Torch Patrol and started. Interesting. Now now explain that. Why would you do Knicks first? So the way MSG works is they they pull from the the Knicks spirit teams in order to make the Liberty team. So they don't necessarily, or they didn't back then hire externally for specifically Liberty. Um, it, it just it just helps in the general scheme of things because if you have Knicks events during the summer, the, the Torch Patrol will work the Knicks events too. And so it would just make sense if you're an employee in that way. So when you're on Torch Patrol or when you're on KCD or 7th Ave Squad or any of these other teams, Rangers Blue Crew I was on too, if you're on any of those, you're a Madison Square Garden employee. Or that's how it was when I was there. And so I did a full season of Knicks, got acclimated. Now that's every- Knicks Spirit Squad and not the like Knicks City Dancers. Yeah. So there's two teams, Nick City Dancers and 7th Ave Squad. I was on 7th Ave Squad. Okay. And so we all performed at the games and they took some from Nick City Dancers and some from 7th Ave Squad and put them together and made Torch Patrol. And so we were able to live it up and have fun in the summertime. And that's when I really saw the discrepancies because my friends would come in and out and still no press. And so what I would do, meet them at their hotel room when they would come in town and post up a phone and record our interviews and run them on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, wherever anybody would watch. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So this is where the sort of journalism stuff comes in. Um, were you working full time with the Liberty Spirit Squad stuff? So I, I was I was well over 40 hours a week, but because we're technically contract employees, so that's how that worked. But yes, my all my time was dedicated there. But because games are at night, typically for the Knicks, I was still modeling. So I was modeling and, and doing cheerleading at the same time. And and it's funny because I remember one of the drafts in the 20 teens, who knows which one, um, I was communicating with somebody like what I wanted to do. And she was like, nobody's going to take you seriously because you're a cheerleader. And that's what uh, encouraged me to walk up to Howard Megdahl <laughs> at the halftime of a of a Liberty game asking for a job to write. And so where I started, I, I knew that I was a strong writer. I have an English and communications background. And I know the X's and O's of basketball because I've been like, it's been ingrained in my blood, in my soul for the past however long. So I started doing, my beat was the ACC. So I started doing um, NCAA with the concentration in ACC. And then well, the next- For what outlet? Was- that was for Bleacher Report? This was back when it was called, it was fan-sided essentially. Yeah. Um, so I, it was called the summit or summit hoops. And so wrote for them and then ended up being the next in the nine. But um, I would write and, and talk about the X's and O's of basketball, but I would also get to go to these locker rooms and use my phone. Nobody in PR understood. Like it wasn't cool right. to be in the locker room with your phone recording selfie videos with people guys. It was not funny. Yeah. People see it now and it's very normal. But you yeah. have PR looking at you like, what is this girl doing? This young girl, first of all, this young black girl doing things her way. And she's in the locker room with a phone recording selfie style. What's going on? We don't know where it's going. It's not even like, like at that time, like I, they didn't necessarily know my platform. So they just were like, 
she's she's just doing whatever, having fun. But I'm like, no, I promise you, this is gonna be the future. Just having that vision and saying, I don't care what you think or judge me about, this is how I wanna tell it. And the players were really receptive because they saw me as a peer. Like I was recently graduated. Like I, I they, they could relate to me. A lot of players still don't know my age, even though I'm still very young, but they, they relate to me really well. And so that's that that was an advantage for me. They were comfortable enough to start telling me stories. And then, and then they've seen me from covering them from when they were 18 to the pros. Like it was so dope to me. Um, Arike's year when we were all before the draft, like praying in the bathroom because everybody was nervous. Mm-hmm. That was really mm-hmm. cool to me. And just seeing them go their whole college career and into the pros, like they know I'm down for them. They know that the whole cause is to tell their stories and it's not anything coming from myself or trying to center myself in it. It's all about amplifying them. We'll get right back to the interview. But first, what is your favorite word? I really like the word audacity, but I'm not going to lie, since this is like a dry humor type of thing, I really always love the word toe. It's just so simple, but it makes people chuckle. Audacity and toe. Let's start with toe, which I never found funny until right now, but I'll, I'll buy that. Sure. Um, no interesting etymology there. Just emerged before the 12th century from Middle English and Old High German. And then in the 1660s became a verb as well as in toe the line. Audacity. Early 15th century, meaning boldness, courage, daring, vigor from medieval Latin and Latin. And in English in the 1530s, the word also evolved to have a meaning of presumptuous impudence implying contempt of moral restraint. I do not see you that way, but you are nothing if not audacious. So I love audacity as your word. Speaking of great words. You gonna learn today. The word of the week is Grawlix. You've probably never heard the word Grawlix, but you've definitely seen one. It's the character or series of characters that appear in place of profanity. So sort of the graphical version of bleeping out a word. Um, It's often seen above an angry cartoon character in place of a swear. Um, And usually it's some combination of, you know, an at sign, a pound symbol, dollar or percentage sign. And the term itself, Grawlix, is credited to the late cartoonist Mort Walker, who created Beetle Bailey, the cartoon, which debuted back in 1950. And in his 1980 book, The Lexicon of Kamakana, Mort included a number of these invented words uh, that included Grawlix, um, like the cloud of dust left when a character makes a hasty getaway, which is a briffet, or the drops of sweat when a character is stressed, pludes. And some think Grawlix got that name because a growl, growl is the kind of muttering sound that someone who is angry makes. So in a sentence... Daylight savings time had me walking around so annoyed you could practically see the Grawlix hovering above my head as I trudged exhausted through my Sunday. That is, until my Chicago Red Stars defeated Gotham FC in the quarterfinals to advance to the NWSL semis. No Grawlix here. Yeah. Now let's get back to the interview. Okay, so you're starting to do some writing, and that's the that's the journalism tie there, and you're also posting a lot of videos and started starting to become known among the players and WNBA folks and you know you start getting some pretty cool gigs right so um you cover some final fours you cover some all-star games WNBA draft in fact in 2019 you were the um digital host for the WNBA during uh during the draft and then up until that point you had also done some in arena hosting for the Mm -hmm. Connecticut Sun so all of this is sort of percolating as uh Walt Clyde Frazier would say and you're getting closer and closer to manifesting something that's of your own creation instead of just working within the confines of what is already you know being offered up in terms of content at this point I mean the only Ari that I've been aware of is like crazy hustle crazy doesn't take no for an answer confident (laughs) put it out there you all need to know this this is amazing um were you always like that or early on as you're trying to get these gigs and establish yourself did you look around and wonder you know why you were on an island sometimes in terms of wanting more of this content pushing for more of it demanding more of it in spaces that maybe weren't quite ready well, Sarah, I'm the only child and only grandchild, so I'm not really <laughs> great on the word no, and I don't understand when things don't, like, people don't try to give me what I want, and so I've always been very much like, no, I'm going to do it. My parents were like, you need to play. I'm like, oh, this is my plan, but I'm going to do it my way. They didn't understand it until December 2020 with the Forbes thing, but um, I always knew what I would want 
to see as a consumer of the game. I always knew what my friends wanted and how they wanted their stories to be told. I saw the frustration in them when somebody came in with like a, an agenda to push or not being able to relate to them. So it was something bigger than me. It was something bigger than me not wanting to hear no. It was, it was these athletes deserve this and I'm going to do what I can with what I have. I had nothing. I had nothing back then. I was, I was, I'm living in New York city off of a cheerleading and modeling, you know, you, you never know. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Never really made playoffs like that. So we were just like, okay, April is going to be rough, you know? So it was just, it, it was a moment of, Hey, how bad do you want it? So if it weren't for people like on, on Twitter, pretty Ricky Wu, who sent me so much money to get me to final fours because I collected one of their favorite quotes from diamond on her draft night or coach Corey close from UCLA. She was like, I've never met you before, but here's, here's some money to get there. And and people like that really pushing me or like my tribe that I, I call my mini tribe because, you know, our, we took over one of the all-stars in Minnesota, like they kept me grounded. They kept me going. And so just, just not wanting to let them down, letting the people who invested in me early on down, not wanting to let the players down, um, believing that like this, this was placed on me for a reason. This was placed on my heart to do for a reason. And I have the, going back to audacity, I have the audacity to do it and to do it my way. And I'm like, I don't know when somebody's going to bite. I'm really, really tired, but just imagine how tired you are. (laughs) Like not ever getting your story told. Imagine how tired they are. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, so take me to 2019. So you've been putting in all this work and did Bleacher Report reach out to you and say, okay, there's going to be this new platform, highlight her? Did they come to you with more of a vague pitch and say, you can help create something? Or how does highlight her, which is to me, I know it mostly because of the incredible Instagram account, but it is sort of multi-platform. How did that begin and how did your connection to it begin? Right before that, I remember being devastated. October 2018, I applied for a WNBA social media position and didn't get it. And I was like, why? Like, why? Like, why? This makes no sense. Like, I, I, long story with that. But with China, I was like, okay, you can feel bad about yourself, but I promise, like, things are coming. So right. I trusted China. I trusted my journey. And then uh, early 2019, or it was late 2018, we had a it was an ESPN women in leadership or something brunch, right? And Christina Tapper was sitting next to me at the brunch. And that's actually where I met Cheryl Swoops, funny. Um, but Christina was telling me she worked at Bleacher Report. And I was like, oh, I would love to come by the office. Just me, just wanting to kick it. And I followed up with her, got into the office, met everybody, didn't think anything of it, didn't want a job, just wanted to kick it. And two weeks later, I find out that they want to start a women's platform at BR. And somebody reached out to me from the company and I, we found out it was a good fit and I grew highlighter from the ground up. But back then it was called we are Jayla. It was named, but it had no followers and Mm -hmm. I was responsible for building up. We are Jayla. And I was like, this name got to go. Yeah. (laughs) Like I brainstormed with myself and I rebranded it and um, was able to get it off the ground by just asking my friends for favors. Like, having a Natasha cloud that I can call up and be like, Hey, can you do this for me real quick? You know, Um, having Sylvia Fowles be able to like still kick it with me in the interview for a highlighter, Skylar Diggins Smith, like just, just people who are willing in it. And it helps the Candace's Turner. So it like works out, but um, yeah, Candace Parker and the, and Turner sports, which is the parent for bleacher report and the stuff that you're working on. 100%. And, And then it helps that we're actually friends. So like she would help me too. And so just being able to do it organically again not ever losing what i would want as a fan on this platform and then challenging myself like i didn't know soccer before i still kind of don't know soccer but i want to be in the soccer community and guess what they're so inviting like all i did was tweet out a sky blue cat flying through the sky and (laughs) i was funny and i was like consistent with it but at least i'm trying and i'm I'm trying and i'm listening and i'm and i'm able to really pay attention to what's going on on Twitter. Twitter's like my gold mine. I like love Twitter. That's that's my heart. Um, but knowing what the fans want. Words just, no one has ever said other than you. <laughs> really? I, I just <laughs> love Twitter. Twitter is my heart. I mean, no, it has a lot of wonderful things. It's also a cesspool of the depravity uh, and the, See, the I think I'm common denominator of the world. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm pigeonholed in this like women's sports and in Yeah, you're in this very positive like little bubble. <laughs> I am. I'm in a bubble. I swear I'm in a bubble because I... <laughs> I just, it, I think it hides it. It's like, I have to click show replies in order to right. stop toxic. Right, 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 right. 
Okay, so Highlight Her begins, and when you look around the landscape, what did you think was most missing? What was it that you wanted this like tone or voice to be for the Instagram and for the work related to Highlight Her um, that you felt was was missing? All ages, levels, abilities, and sports. So the ones who aren't like a Diana Taurasi, the ones who aren't just basketball, the ones who aren't well-known. What I've always loved, even when I was independently doing my journalism, was the underdog story. And Batuli Camera, she'll tell you, she played at Connecticut. I remember walking into her, this was before Highlighter, walking into her locker room and saying like, this is back when Mariah Jefferson, Brianna Stewart, and all them were there. And I, I saw her reading a book and I just was like so intrigued of like why she was reading a book right before a game. And she was like so introspective and just like peaceful. And I wanted to get into her story. Like we all know the bigger stories, but I like to dig for like the underdog. That's why we have a don't sleep on WNBA weekly. That's why, you know, I feel like what sets highlighter apart because we're able to really tap into the, the actual other players that aren't just the easy way. Do you know what I mean? Like that's yeah, for sure. I think that I that I brought to highlighter, and that's why I think that we have been successful so far that we don't just rely on the the, the easy clickable clickbait names. Yeah, yeah. There's tons of fascinating stuff, whether it's just um, unknown kind of competitions or just incredible feats of strength or or mm -hmm. flexibility or whatever from a variety of sports that are compelling when you're scrolling that aren't just the same the same stories. So um, you mentioned don't sleep. So for people who haven't seen it, kind of explain what that is and where they could find it. So because I'm a freak of nature and just only watch basketball on my TV, uh, I tune into many of the WNBA games and I, again, not doing that easy name. So I look for people who I feel like haven't gotten enough talk. I, I know Curtis on Twitter always talks about how we need to stop saying we never talk about and just talk about them. So I really right. heart. Yes. Like, Why not? And so a segment within WNBA weekly that airs on NBA TV during the WNBA season and some of postseason every week, hence the name. Um, <laughs> we have a segment that's don't sleep, which is like, you shouldn't sleep on this player. So as we're all talking about like Tina Charles having stat lines from the gods, I'm looking at Teresa Plaisance, who has grown every single year and is a really, really good puzzle piece for um, the Washington Mystics. Same way with Erica McCall with the Washington Mystics. And so it's just it's just dope to see them. And Marina Mabry, we did start talking about her, but just like how did she grow into that? Or Brianna Turner, who has been consistently great, but we just don't speak about. Right. So these are the things. And I was lucky enough to conclude my year of like the – uh, the elements of the league that we sleep on. And so just up for interpretation, how we present the don't sleep part, but it's just making sure we shine light on people who have been putting in the work that don't always get the storylines. Yeah. I love that. Um, you also mentioned the Forbes 30 under 30 sports list. Mm -hmm. um, now that you are past 30, you're so lucky that you, you made it in just in time, but tell me about that honor and, and what it meant to you to feel sort of like recognized and seen. It was my first nomination like ever. And, and I, yeah, I, yeah, I, Hey, it's something that you could be like, Oh, see, I told you like my mom and dad, I was like, Hey, here we are. I didn't expect it coming at all. I didn't expect it at all. I'm thankful for the nomination. Um, a few months after I guess the nomination, you get a survey and you just tell them about yourself. And again, I think that as long as you come from a genuine place, you know, pay off. And so I wasn't trying to be anything that I wasn't and just told them like, this is, this is what I'm passionate about intentionally only on the women's side, because I feel like we need it. And, you know, was able to do different things with different people through my work with women's sports and through highlighter. And they saw it fit to be in this list and Forbes 30 under 30 is a list of innovation. And so I'm so thankful that they really paid mine to myself and my fellow sports listers that they saw innovation within us. And then there were several players that made the list too. And so just seeing how their shape shifting things, it's funny because Natasha Cloud was one of my um, recommendations and she was on the list too. And so I'm like, Tosh, you could have told me you were nominated too, because you have to submit your, you know, other recommendations once you get the survey back. But that was, that was really funny to me how she didn't tell, tell me that, but it was just a way to just, I don't, I don't like to use it for validation, but it was a way to show my parents, hey, 
I didn't move to New York for nothing. <laughs> right. I'm doing something. I know I always joke. Like I it was probably like seven or eight years ago. My dad was still like, Hey, if you know, if you really wanted to, you could um go to Kellogg and get your master's at Northwestern. I was like, I think I'm doing okay. Like I don't think I need to do that. I think I don't I think maybe like I could have done that a while ago to get where I am now, but I think I'm good. But I think he just always had it in his head that that would be something mm -hmm. fun to do. So it is funny how with parents, they have like different benchmarks. I have one aunt that's like, so ESPN, do you think you'll ever write for anywhere legitimate like the Wall Street Journal? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's not really how sports works. But um, they're, satisfied. they're all like, yeah. okay, that's cute. But. <laughs> like, but but in our world, this means something. And why do we don't know what that is. So exactly. um Talk to me about working with Aaron Kane. I know Aaron uh, through her representation of a number of players that I've worked with. And um, I remember when she left Octagon to open up her own shop, the clearing agency where, you know, she shares some of her clients with Octagon still, but for her to start her own thing. And there are a handful of women agents that are reaching a certain prominence and, and a number of them are starting their own spaces. What does it mean for you to work with her? And how do you use that sort of connection of her representing a lot of the players that you want to want to work with and, and cover? She's a badass. And it's funny because when I was deciding, because I knew at this point in my career, I needed representation. When I was deciding, I think of like who has been kind to me throughout this whole thing, because there are a lot of agents and agencies that really um, aren't additive to the women's game. They really aren't as inviting. And Erin was always open. Even if she didn't agree with everything that was happening, she was always open to, to allowing access and that's something that that I didn't take lightly. And I know that she's truly passionate about what she does. She works so hard for everybody um, that she cares about, everybody that she represents. I, I look at her client list, and those are all people that I respect and love dearly. Like she has Elena, Arike, Nafisa, right. has Christy Tolliver. She had, you know, it's it's just it's a group of people that are so special, and I see such greatness in, and I respect, and then. I see so much greatness in her too. And she just keeps me driven, motivated. And plus she doesn't like baby me. That's what, that's what I love. I love when somebody can be direct and she's like, look, I believe in you. I see your vision. And so I can be looking at her and saying, look, I know you just left Octagon. I see you and I believe in your vision too. So it's a mutual yeah. seeing of each other. And I love when people can see you and see what you want to do. It's never a point where she's like, let me push you into this direction if you don't want to be pushed there. Right. It's like, let me push you to be better. And what do you want to do? And so I think that out, like if anybody out there who's looking for representation can find somebody that will push them in the right ways, that's what's so special. And, and especially if I, I see a woman who's doing that, a woman who can be just as you know assertive and just as powerful as the next guy, that's dope. And I and it's right in perfect alignment with what I'm trying to do with my life too. So that's Aaron Kane for you. All right. So tell me about your catchphrase, which is very simple and yet somehow has grown into something so much bigger. It's just the WNBA is so important. What made you start tweeting that? And why do you think it took on a life of its own? I literally never expected it, Sarah. Like I, <laughs> in 2016, it was actually, I know the original Twitter tweet was 2017, but I put it on my Facebook after a junior NBA camp. And here I go on Torch Patrol, you know, right there with them, <laughs> right alongside with them with the skirt on and everything um, at junior NBA camp. And Swin Cash was singing, if you want to be somebody. If you want oh, to the Swin. Love her. Yep. You better wake up and pay attention from Sister Act 2. And I recorded it <laughs> on my phone because my phone is the most loyal thing to me in my life. And I posted it on Facebook and I said, the WNBA is so important. And then it was something that I kept seeing examples of, whether that be players signing shoes and giving them to kids after or players in the community. I remember this young, young girl at um, the NBA store when Lisa Leslie was there, I got an autograph from the Uncle Drew premiere and started crying. I'm like, this girl could not have been born when Lisa was like playing, but just that impact. And I was like, that WNBA is so important. So it was just the easiest way to communicate exactly how I feel and exactly what the world needs to see. And persistence and consistency and repetition and it stuck with people and then so people started yeah. tweeting moments and saying the WNBA is so important and then it started not to me just in general the WNBA is so important and so now that it's really really well known especially after our activation with WNBA Twitter or Twitter sports in general 
Um, now it's here to stay. And I'm really, really excited about that because again, it's not about any individual. It's literally pushing the women's game forward. And that's all I've ever wanted to do. That's all these players ever deserved is just to keep growing and keep on this upper trajectory. Tell people about the activation and, and the commercial. Girl, and I got us all in New York and, and just like frolicking <laughs> together. And, um, it was, it was dope that Cheryl came through and that's auntie Cheryl and, and Pepper personally. So just bridging that generational gap right there. So Cheryl, one of the greatest players of all time, of Ever. course, mm -hmm. who I just had on the podcast. And then Pepper, who's a young girl who is already doing journalism around the league. Mm -hmm. um, but tell people it's a, it's a commercial that ran on television and has run mm -hmm. digitally. Like that's a big deal that they essentially created a commercial around a, a concept that you invented. Yeah, and look at the excitement around it. Look how much pride WNBA Twitter had. Look how much pride even NBA Twitter had. The NBA players were hopping on it. People who had never seen on the timeline were jumping on the WNBA Twitter train and you create trends. That's It's not called trending for nothing. You create mm -hmm. trends, you hop on the trends. And it's really, really funny to me because a lot of people get protective, like weirdly protective over the W. Like, oh, you weren't supporting it back then? But I'm like, that's the point. The point is right. keep people coming no judgment i'm i hate that i hate the bandwagon calls i'm like if i think something's awesome and you're not there yet and then i convince you welcome that's exactly the point like, that's exactly <laughs> what we're trying to do you, you don't need because we all started somewhere right sarah i'm not going to say i was an expert at 97 WNBA stuff right no, I, mean, I was watching it but back then it, it i wasn't emotionally tied to it the way i am now and that's because I was able to get out to games and, and and grow that passion. So now you have a new generation that's on social media that can get that same growing passion. And so we need to be able to invite people in. So that's exactly what the commercial did. It drew people in and said, oh, what's what's this? What's the WNBA is so important? The SEO is so strong. You can literally type and see all the moments. Yeah. Like even before the Twitter commercial aired, you could just type in the WNBA is so important. See all these pictures and videos of players doing dope things in the community. Even if you don't understand basketball, you understand philanthropy and good people. Mm -hmm. And that's what that's what it brought people into. So I would encourage anybody who's listening to this, stop being so judgmental about newer people coming into the league and supporting the league because that's exactly what we want. What we want. Yeah. That's I keep saying this and it's come up in a conversation in so many different versions of conversations about women's sports of late, but um, the democratization of fandom that resulted from social media because we didn't rely on the same gatekeepers to tell everyone what they should be interested in. Those gatekeepers are predominantly middle-aged white men, whether it's sports editors at a newspaper or program directors at a TV or radio station. And for the longest time, if you tried to convince some of those people that people wanted to see women's sports or stories about female athletes, the answer was no one's interested. And you never gave them a chance by never showing them. It's that stupid. It's like uh, the when you're coming up and people are like, we're so sorry, you don't have any experience. Well, how am I supposed to get experience if no one will give me experience, right? Exactly. And that felt the same way so often about women's sports. Like, you know what you know it works when you put little league world series on tv that people will learn who the players are and get interested you know it works for curling and bobsled and figure skating and every olympic sport you give the people the stories and the stakes and the content and they watch it we were refusing to do that for so long with women's sports and female athletes and then you democratize it all on social media where people who want to create content like you offer it up people come for it mm -hmm. it finds a platform and a home and then you realize that it's a, a viable product that people want and and watching that develop over the last couple of years has i think been the biggest pivot point for me in believing that the future for women's sports is so much bigger and brighter and then you know the fan project from sports innovation lab and angela rogero who was on this podcast a few weeks ago talking about how female sports fans are already the fluid fan of the future they do not need to adopt the the, the changes that so many men's sports fans are going to have to as rights are disseminated all over to streaming and different outlets mm -hmm. um it just feels like you're a part of this big push, which has been really cool to watch. And also just your attitude toward it is positive, optimistic, and really refusing to be denied. <laughs> and, I, and I'm curious as we wrap up here, if you've ever had those flat out no's, mm -hmm. or if you've been in bigger spaces where you're trying to expand the reach or the investment or otherwise, and you haven't, and you're still kind of facing some of the, the pushback. I've had so many people try to deny me of the space that I wanted to occupy. And what I tell, you know, the next generation, even my peers, um, is don't wait for your yes. And if they tell you no, do it anyway. 
So I got turned down from jobs that I knew were created for me. I've gotten, or people have attempted to keep me off of certain, you know, networks or spaces or jobs. But what you need to do is prove that the numbers are there. Prove that the number, use your social media, utilize your personal brand in order to create an audience that is so strong that these networks or these people cannot deny you. And that's, that's like my biggest advice to anybody. I've heard no so many times. Sarah, people didn't understand. Like I said, I was in 2015 in locker rooms with a cell phone. That doesn't make mm -hmm. sense. And this is back when they, the TV stations held the big cameras. And I'm like, thank God for Ava Wallace and Grady Diaz and Erica Isla for holding holding up my phone for me so I didn't have to mm -hmm. do selfies now. Or when we, they finally made tri tripods. But it, if I would have waited for that approval or for waited for an in with a bigger company in, in that way, I don't know where my platform in general would, would have been. I don't know what impact that would have had on the larger picture because we, as the fans of the women's game, are already ahead of the game. Like you just said it. We're, yeah. we're the ones who are who are creating the vision and, and, and following through with it. And so if we know what we want to see and stay strong in that, then there's no stopping that. And so I would just encourage everybody out there who wants to do something like this or wants to help push the women's game forward or do things in the sports broadcast space. Just don't wait for your yes and do it anyway. I love it. It's great advice. All right, before we go, you do have to do the one thing that everybody does and nobody expects. Didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. The Spanish Inquisition is part of ESPN Nation, brought to you by Dr. Pepper. College football is back and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. <laughs> Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. It's the Spanish Inquisition. Number one, your current career is canceled. No modeling, no journalism, no basketball, no WNBA, no social media. What job do you do instead? Oh, my God. Um, I'll be a defense attorney because I like to okay. argue. Yeah, yeah. Number two, what's the most scared you've ever been? Um, hmm. I don't know. I like to live in fearlessness. Oh, my dog ate a, like a, a bag of almonds. Ooh. And I thought I was going to die. Like he was throwing up almonds. Like, oh, all no. Night. So scary. My heart. And so, yeah, I don't get scared about like <laughs> other things, but uh, yeah. Uh, number three, you could be the best in the world at one thing for one day. What is it? I want to be great at basketball. So <laughs> yeah. I just spend a lot of time around it. You know, yeah. level basketball player. For <laughs> right. Life, so. uh, number four, what current celebrity from music or politics, TV, sports, would you like to most be your best friend? Ja Rule, you already know what it is. Met you the other night. Okay. <laughs> no, period. Okay. Uh, no, you can go to the next Firefest. Uh, just get on the Stop. list right now. Just get on. Stop. Listen, I bet they have an opening. Uh, number five, what's your biggest, most meaningless pet peeve? I hate shoes in the house, on the bed. Just put the shoes off in the door. Who raised you? Okay, I like that. Number six, what's the most embarrassed you've ever been? I don't get embarrassed, which is kind of odd. I'm just very goofy and clumsy anyway. So like my life, I guess, like <laughs> just, just everyday existence. Every day. Oh, um, oh, oh, oh yeah. I told you about my knees. I like skipped into the wall like a, a week or two ago with already bruised knees. And so now my knees are still swollen from that. And so I embarrassed myself. Did Nobody you see the wall? Sarah, I, I don't know what happened. I can't tell you, but there's a mark <laughs> on the wall where my, my skin is. So. Oh my gosh. All right. Good. To, good to know. Uh, number seven, what's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? Um, perfectionism and knowing balance. Interesting. That's surprising kind of because you put stuff out there, um, which a lot of perfectionists, they like sit and stew over the work and they never release it out into the wild. But I guess you can kind of balance that. Like, uh, you got a deadline, but like deep inside, you're like, it could have been better. Yeah, no, everything I put out, I, I'm like, I, it could have been better. And then also I struggle with like feeling like I'm not doing enough for the women's game. Right. Which sounds crazy, but like always. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I missed this press conference. I'm trash. Like, like that, that drives a lot of people that are very successful, right? Is is that constant need to keep keep at it. Uh, number eight, any musician or band alive or dead can play at your next party. Who is it? Let's hit them with Beyonce. Just okay. Yeah. Cool. Ja Rule will already be there because he'll be your best friend. <laughs> ja so he can like. Yeah. He can hop on for like a collab with Beyonce. Yeah. Um, number nine, what would you consider your biggest failure? Um, I would honestly like go introspectively and say my negative self-talk sometimes. 
Really? Uh-huh. I'm surprised to hear that. You seem like such a positive person. I am for everybody. And my friend Leah changed my life when she said, you're a cheerleader for everybody else. You need to be a cheerleader for yourself. And I'm, yeah. right, so I'm working on it. It is interesting. It's so cheesy, but whenever you say something about like mean about yourself and your friend says, don't talk about my friend like that. Uh-huh. It makes you think like, oh, I would never say that about my friend. Yeah. And I would never be that hard on my friend, but yeah, you do crazy. it to yourself. Because yeah, I'm yeah. a confident person, but it's just like, Oh, you didn't do enough. It goes back to that other question. Yeah. 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 Number 10, what three individual words would you most hope people would use to describe you? Mm. Bold. Cause that goes with audacious. So I, I mm-hmm. bold, um, kind. Cause I think it's really, really, really important to be kind and a leader. I love those. Those are great. Who should I have on the podcast? Bonus question. It could be anyone from any industry that you just think I would find interesting. You already have Monica. I'm sure you, mm-hmm. you're talking to Angel on, on cue. I will say, let me get Chloe Pavlik or Camille Bixetta. Okay. Chloe was actually, she started Overtime Women's Basketball, which was She Hoops Network back then. And then she went to Together. And now she's at Baylor being an assistant okay. coach. Shout out to her. And Camille, who started W Slam. All right. I'm on it. Hey, thanks for doing this. Really fun to get to know you better. And um, I promise the next time we hang out, in person, which somehow wasn't at the Sky Playoff Games, which really, I thought it would be. So many times there, I don't believe you. <laughs> I know, I know. No, this time it really will. But for real though, I was really mad that you were in my city and I didn't see you. Yeah, no, but multiple times. Like, But I know, but you also always message me five minutes before you I, wanna do something. I, so I, if you could just go ahead and give me a heads up before it's right when you're here, that'd be great. Just even I, a day I, would be good. Okay. When it gets back warm, I'm gonna make a trip. There we go, all right. Uh, thank you, lady. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's what she said. Oh, yeah. One more thing. This is a place for me to rant or rave, to tell you to watch, read, listen to something, whatever's on my mind. And this week, what is on my mind is the morning show. I know we all love Ted Lasso, and I really, really do. But our obsession with talking about it has left little room to promote the other amazing Apple TV show, The Morning Show. I'm halfway through season two now, and it's one of those shows where I'm like staying up way past my bedtime to watch one more episode. It's an amazing cast, super thoughtful and subtle and nuanced and moving dialogue and storylines that address the biggest issues of the right now, this moment, in a really compelling way. It's got drama, it's got romance, it's got mystery, it's got tons of the sort of over-the-top depictions of the news world and television and everything else. Um, I'm loving it. Go check it out. Don't forget, you can always tweet me, at Sarah Spain, if you've got guest suggestions, questions, dilemmas, and you should always go to the iTunes or podcast app. You could scroll down past the top header for That's What She Said with Sarah Spain and some of the episodes, and you'll get to the option to rate it. So five stars, please subscribe and follow and then give me a review. We'd love to see it. Thanks as always for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said. 